0: You know, it took me some months before I realized sort of what had happened. Um, that you know this kid, former foster care from Compton, went on to conquer you know, one of the most difficult interviews in the world.
1: Venters, that was the voice of Anthony Mays, Google software engineer. In today's episode, Anthony tells us about his journey from Compton, California, to Google. And as they say, you can't be what you don't see. So I'm glad to share Anthony's story with you today. So please enjoy the rest of the episode. With Trent, the gent, they like agents On top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance Taking the credits when they spits and spritz A chip and dip, a dip, and del I pin the tear Death, throw the penalty ID, throwing your identity That's crime in the night, pick pop, keep the lock Stop, drop, roll the dice, double, double, do Eat the rock, road, roll, Bro, shambo, tic-tac-toe Crossing over road with the nice low. With my energy, you see me, room, room, play Monopoly With my commodities. stop the eyes and cross the T's T's well good afternoon venters welcome to this edition of vent with trent the gent today i am in the city of irvine in the google campus and i'm visiting with my friend anthony mays who is a software engineer here at google so anthony we want to welcome you to vent with trent the gent Well, thank you very much good so let's start at the beginning we always go back to the beginning And so I want to hear a little bit about your upbringing. Um, Tell me a little bit about the the Kroon family and how that all came to be. So tell us all about um, Anthony as a little kid.
0: Sure. So um, my story begins in uh, Compton. I was born in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, but my story really starts in Compton uh, in 88, the year that uh, the album Straight Outta Compton was released by NWA, uh, which um among among other things put Compton on the map and uh, i just arrived in Compton with my um mom uh, stepdad and uh, two brothers and during that time um you know we were didn't have a lot of money uh, we were poor uh, mom had to work um, to keep everything uh, s- uh, stable in the, in the house financially um stepdad was having trouble with um locking down a job he'd just come out of the military um, and then all decided to move to california um, to um, sort of start afresh there and um, you know very quickly i learned that uh, compton is sort of a rough place um, you know there's um, so many different people it was it was uh, i think a time of a lot of racial tension um, certainly um watts riots still fresh in a lot of people's minds police brutality, NWA sort of uh, surfaces some things. And uh, I personally, when I was four year, four years old that year, uh, suffered physical and sexual abuse. And uh, my teacher came to discover the um, physical abuse. Uh, this is my kindergarten teacher at the time. And called the police. The police came and picked me up. Uh, they took me to Martin Luther King Hospital and uh, discovered that I had uh marks on my back consistent with physical abuse Um, from that point on um, i uh, went into the foster care system temporarily the first time around Uh, and then the second time i was put in uh, moved from a couple of different homes Um, our babysitters uh, the babysitter for uh, me and my brothers uh, miss grooms um, she'd heard about us going into the foster care system decided to come by and pick us all up me and my two brothers, because uh, they'd also gone into the foster care system and committed themselves, um, her and her husband um, uh, you know, committed themselves to raising us up and uh, teaching us and, and training us in uh, you know, how to get good grades, um, how to um, have the right attitude and mentality. They're very religious people, um, um, Christians, uh, devout Christians. And they believed in sort of instilling in us everything um, that we would need to be successful in our school career and um, in college and in in the workplace. And so, you know, until we were 18 years old, uh, that's how we lived. Uh, The college was never an option. It was always an expectation. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, my father's like, you're going to go to college, not if you're going to college, just when you're going to college and where you're going. Uh, So they made it very clear that that was my only option. Um, when I was about eight years old, um, I became really interested in computers. Um, I tell everybody that um, part of the reason was because of that man. Um, I loved the back computer. Mm-hmm. And, Didn't we all? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the fact that you know, this, and, and this computer could do anything, right? But you're also seeing computers pop up all over the place, in TV shows, and you know, uh, you know, you had Kit, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, Knight Rider, and all that stuff. And you're just like, wow, this is amazing to, to think about what computers can do. And for me, I got the sense that if I could learn about this. This technology maybe that would give me um, a way to get out the hood and um, so I applied myself there parents got me a toy computer and I taught myself programming I'm at the age of eight still have it um, and then um, yeah went on to uh, get a couple of mentors in middle school and high school they poured into me they taught me um, about the internet and you know like what's the ACTP colon backslash backslash mean in a web address and you know how to use email and search and um, just soaked that all up, and uh, by the time I got to college, it was um, I knew that computers was going to be uh, my thing. Um, went to UCI, got a degree in computer science. It was one of the only um, black people in my courses, in my computer science courses. Uh, maybe there'd be one or two other people, mm-hmm. um, other uh, black people, and almost always men. And um, you know, uh, graduated from UCI, uh, spent ten years in industry. I knew that I wanted to go to Google when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, never thought that I'd get the chance or that I'd be smart enough or capable enough to do it. And so uh, when I got called by a Google recruiter in 2011, I was like, this is cool. I ran around my house like four or five times. I was just so excited. And um, went to interview um, after a couple of weeks, I think, and I bombed, just bombed it. And uh, for me, that was a pivotal moment because I realized that the fear that I had about not being good enough for Google, um, I felt like that come true. Like, it just been confirmed. So, when Google called in 2012, you know, again, I was like, no, good. (laughs) I'm cool. I got a job. You know, uh, I'm not ready to go through it again. Then they called in 2013. I was like, okay, something's going on. Like, they called me three times. I haven't applied even once. I need to do something about this. And so, um, uh, on my second attempt, studied. I worked as hard as I could to um, to make sure that I was understanding the material that I needed, you know, putting in three four hours every single day um, on a whiteboard that I bought. Uh, for, I did this for a month and a half. And uh, went in, did the interview, um, came to um, the Google campus, did another five with other Google engineers, and finally got in. And so, uh, you know, it took me some months before I realized sort of what had happened, um, that, you know, this kid former foster care from Compton went on to conquer one of the most difficult interviews in the world uh, to become one of the select few to be uh, fortunate enough to be called a Googler.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. So... Let's go back to the kindergarten teacher. Hmm. Do you still keep in contact with that teacher no, by any chance? No, no, or not at all. May, may be alive, may yeah. not be alive. Yeah, Come I don't up? know.
0: Uh, I've tried to do uh, some research to figure out uh, who it was. and mm-hmm. I think I have their name, but I um, haven't seriously tried to track them. Yeah.
1: Name. Well, obviously you have access to make that happen if, if you needed to by working at Google. Yeah. Um, so how did, is this is a female teacher?
0: It, um, actually, I don't you know.
1: know. Oh, you don't yeah, know. You don't I know. Say, how did they come to find the scars on your back? Um, was it that visible? Obviously, you had on a shirt. Yeah,
0: yeah I, don't, I don't know um, how um, they just discovered it. Um, you know, and It's one of those things that I think about. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how did that actually happen? You know, if I was scratching my back, touching it. I yeah. don't know. Uh, you know I, I, knowing me, I probably was just giving it away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, How much can can a little kid... You know, in kindergarten, really hide yeah. those kinds of things. Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I am certainly grateful um, that the teacher, um, you know, played the role that they did in identifying that that was happening. And um, I, I don't regret any of the events that occurred. Yeah. Um, I, I find value and purpose and meaning. You know, for me, this is about how God has allowed all of these events to transpire. Um, and that has made it easier for me to deal with um, in many ways.
1: Yeah, because I was gonna lead into after all that. Obviously, there's a lot of bad luck per se in that story, but a lot of good luck. A lot of good things happen to you by virtue of those things. So uh, the question was going to be, what is your your definition of luck?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, well, you know, I'm not I'm not a believer in luck. You know, I'm as a Christian, I'm I'm very much um, a believer in God's providence you know mm-hmm. I believe that God is in control of everything and so you know in allowing abuse in allowing um, me to go through those difficult things and allowing me to be um, um, paired up with the Crooms mm-hmm. um, and under their, their tutelage uh, I consider myself uh, incredibly blessed uh, to have to have been able to go through those things and to come out um, you know reasonably unscathed By that, it's not to say that haven't dealt with difficulty as a result of that, but, you know, even in the difficulty it's made me a better person. It's given me a story that I can share. It's given me something that I can then use to inspire other people that have gone through difficult situations, you know, to tell them, uh, you know, you can you can do better. You know, you can get to uh, that place that you want to go to, uh, but it's going to require uh, people pouring into you. It's going to require you having the heart and the mindset to work hard and to focus and to do the things that you need to do. Uh, it's going to require you not leaning on other people to do the things that only you can do. Uh, but it will require you depending upon God who's in control of it all. And so for me, I consider my story and my life a testimony of what of what God has done. And I, I have no qualms about um, representing it that way. Uh, because certainly if you look at the statistics and if you look at the um, just the data about um you know, what life for foster kids growing up in the hood is like. Uh, the chances are that I should have uh, been in prison, homeless, or dead. Uh, those are the odds. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've struggled with uh, a sort of survivor's guilt. Like, you know, why me? Why did I make it out? Yeah. You know, what was so special about me? And, and after a while, I had to reconcile um, in my mind the fact that I, don't, I didn't really deserve this, but it's been given to me, and I have a responsibility to, um, to testify, one, of God's goodness, but then, two, to be that example and that light for, um, for somebody else to see that, yeah, it is possible. And so that's, that's really, you know, when you look at Anthony D. Mays, what you're, what you're looking at is um, is, is an example, uh, I believe, that God has placed here to be a beacon of, of hope for other people, and I hope that I can serve that that purpose to
1: and i i think you do i know just from the short time that i've known you i've asked you to to do two favors for me this is <laughs> one of them and you've been jimmy on the spot on on both of them so i want to thank you for that um and also in your 20 percent time and if the listeners don't know what that is. You can explain that. Sure. I know part of your giving back is reaching out to underrepresented um, citizens out there that may not have the opportunity, may not have someone to lean on, may not have someone like the croons that you had to instill on you that you're going to college. Right? There's no questions asked about that. So tell everybody about um, what truly your mission is and what you're doing in your 20% time.
0: Sure, so for those um, that don't know, 20% time is uh, Google's way of allowing employees to work on things that aren't um, sort of core central to their main work. And so uh, for many people, this manifests itself as opportunities to go work on different projects throughout the company um, that aren't related to um, necessarily their um, day-to-day, but that can also include things like getting involved in employee resource groups, Uh, that could also involve things like um, advocating um, for um, uh, more diversity and inclusion um, or participating in philanthropic uh, efforts to uh, assist uh, nonprofits with things that they're trying to do. And so there's a lot of ways that that um, time gets used. Um, You know, for me, uh, I think in... So in in 2004, um, Google released their uh, diversity numbers for the first time. And I remember that once Google had done it, uh, there were a number of other companies that followed suit and did the same. This is um, sort of the beginning of um, sort of the age in which we live now, where uh, there's a lot of attention on diversity in Silicon Valley and um, and inclusiveness in tech. And from the moment that Google released those stats, it was a wake-up call for me, um, because that's when I came to the realization that what I had done is becoming um, one of the one percent of Google employees. Um, who was both black and a software engineer uh, you know that that woke me up to the fact that I'd done something uh, pretty remarkable um, but that also there was this big problem in tech that that would require people like me stepping up uh, to to um, carry the banner and to uh, you know really get uh, Google's message out there uh, that you know we want, more inclusiveness, that we want more diversity. Um, and I know that um, Google publicly in many different ways and shapes and forms has has made it clear uh, what their intention is with regards to building a more uh, inclusive Silicon Valley. And so and that's something that I can jive with. Um, I've been a beneficiary of that, um, of Google's efforts to make this company more inclusive. And I appreciate that. And it's not something I take lightly and take for granted. And now in that position, I know that I have a responsibility to pay it forward, um, to, to, um, the next generation mm-hmm. of young people that are getting into tech. And so that's, that's how I choose to use that 20% time, that mechanism. And there are other mechanisms too, um, that, um, you know, Google graciously allows me to use and take advantage of. And so, um, you know, these are important things and I feel like, um, you know, I should take advantage of the opportunities while I can.
1: Yeah. Where are some of the places, some of the training grounds where you are trying to locate some of these underrepresented individuals and, you know, where are you finding them? And is there anything that, you know, the community as a whole should do to really bring these individuals to light? How, how, how do we make it easier to to find these students?
0: Yeah, no, uh, I think that's a great question. Um, one way that I've seen it done is through um, through schools, right? Um, there's, and uh, you can even uh, see uh, through Google's efforts, um, attempts to reach out um, to the K through 12 community, you know, uh, to schools and programs that are working in that space um, to reach kids in the classroom. Um, you know, there's um, a fair number, even in Orange County. Um, if you look at some of the neighboring um, cities, there's. Uh, the school districts that have you know schools that have uh, a large percentage of students that are um, uh, you know on the free lunch program right and so uh, those are potential places where um, you know we can sort of find and identify children that are uh, that may be uh, struggling and may not have the same opportunities that others have uh, you know I imagine there's uh, other avenues outside of that I mean me personally I've um, I've had a heart to go back to compton Matter of fact, there's. um, I'm planning on going to uh, school district meeting in December. You know, talk to kids there, just to show them, hey, I'm here. I'm. I'm, I want to be helpful to you. Let me know. Um, And so, uh, there's been that. Um, I've also been interested in reaching into other places. So, for instance, um, uh, reaching into barber shops. Right? Um, like in the black community, the barbershop is an institution. The beauty, the, you know, the beauty um, salon is an institution. It's yeah. not just the place that you go from time to time. And I think it's amazing how um, you know, people that, and friends that I have that, that aren't black, you know, they sort of get surprised by like, the, the importance of that, um, that institution in, uh, in the community. But you know, I think that um, you know, tech companies should be looking at barbershops and beauty salons you know, to go sort of meet the community where they are. Uh, you know, I'm also not opposed to working with churches, uh, you know, and, uh, in, in, um, you know, trying to partner with them in some places um, to, uh, you know, get the message out that tech is the place to be. Um, also, there's, um, uh, where else, um, th- there's plenty of nonprofits mm-hmm. uh, that are in the area, plenty of charitable organizations um, in Orange County and L.A. County that need help, um, that could use help of uh, folks like me to come and um, do what we can. And so, you know, uh, traditional places like Boys and Girls Club, but then there's also um, others that sort of slip my mind um, at the moment. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's so many different areas and so many different places. It's not that hard to find them. Uh, you know, I would, I would Google that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Tell me about the importance of, of books and I believe it was a book that I think I read. It's the title was Sasha.
0: Oh, Sasha. Sadie Sadie loves yeah, to code.
1: there, there it is. Yeah. The importance of books like that and how that really even gets the kids interested in, sure. in tech.
0: Yeah. So, um, I, I really love what Sasha Ariel uh, Austin has done uh, in writing that book and getting that published. Uh, because I didn't have books like that when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, For listeners out there that aren't aware of this book, Sasha Savvy Loves to Code is about uh, the story of a young girl that um, becomes interested in coding and goes to a coding camp and starts to learn about technology. And uh, this is a young black girl um, who's, um, you know, uh, building this desire, you know, and learning how to do cool things and be innovative um, using technology and through coding. And Um, I remember when I found out about the book on I think on on LinkedIn. um, I remember telling myself like you know I need to get this for my daughter, you know I need to get this for my son too. Mm -hmm. Um, My children need to know that um, it is that they live in a world where um, a young black girl, young black boy, you know a brown person, whoever um, can can use technology and coding. As a way to get to places that they haven't haven't been able to get to before, um, and you know that's not the image that I had when I was growing up. When I saw a computer scientists, um, I I saw a white man, uh, a dork, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, you, you know, somebody that's incredibly smart, good with math, you know, but they're working out of their parents' garage with all of kinds of equipment that I and my parents could never afford you know, building these cool things and then getting opportunities to go and start companies and stuff. Um, I tell a lot of people about a movie that I saw back in the, in the 90s called Pirates of Silicon Valley uh, featured Noah Wiley and um, Anthony Michael Hall. And mm-hmm. um, that was one of those things that, um, you know, again, sort of solidified a perception about um, who belongs in tech. Uh, and, and the picture that I was seeing wasn't lined up with the picture that I see of myself. You people that I was surrounded by. And so that was a big, big issue for me. Um, even Batman. Right. This is a white guy that's wearing the, you know, he may wear a black suit, but he's a white guy. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and a wealthy one at that. And so tech didn't seem like something um, that was terribly accessible to me. But I was going to try to do whatever I could and at least get as close as I could to where I wanted to, to go, even if I didn't think that I could make it all the way. And so, um, you know, I I tell people a lot of times that um, in college when I was thinking about Google and approached by our Google recruiter for the first time, I I basically threw the application away because I just knew that Google would never hire a person like me. Um, And that was because I didn't see, you know, other black software engineers working in, you know, working at back then MySpace, Facebook, Yahoo, whatever, that I could go and just be like, hey, you know, so what's it like, you know? Um, do they treat you good and all that stuff. I was talking to a young man just last night um, who is a college student. He's um, a senior in school. And uh, he, was, he just wanted to call and talk about, you know, what is it like as a black man to work in tech? And, um, you know, I was just telling him everything about what i had been through and everything that I experienced, telling him about the good and the bad. And, uh, you know, I was just telling him like, look, you know, I'm, I'm having this conversation with you right now because I didn't have somebody when I was your age that I can go to and and ask the same questions that you're asking. You know, I took, you know, tell him that I appreciated so much that he was doing that. Um, And so, you know, books like Sasha Savvy Loves to Code, um, I think are important for that reason, because just being able to see the image um, of someone who looks like you, maybe even thinks like you, maybe has a, a background in the culture like yours, seeing them do something that maybe you haven't seen them do before it gives gives you faith that yes. you can do the same thing. Um, the old adage in the industry is is you know you can't be what you can't see. Yeah, and um, you know I think that generally um, there's some truth to that, um, and uh, I think the you know her book and and hopefully other books that will come out too. Um, will will help to change those perceptions, and and this is not just a problem in the literary world, right? It's a it's an issue in television, media, movies, um, the news, even you know how these things are reported. Yes, um, you know we really need to broaden the perception of of uh, computer scientists, you know who they are and how they work. Um, and I'm appreciative that at Google I've, I've seen, you know, a great um, amount of diversity um, in have been able to um, enjoy that, you know, in, in the interactions I've had with my peers and the people that, that I work with.
1: Obviously, you have some pretty good habits, but what would you say would be your, your best habit and, and how did you develop
0: that habit? That's a, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, my best habit, uh, you know, I think one of my, one of the things that I appreciate just about how I work and and how I think is that I, I I have a lot of fear and apprehension. Um, and, and fear isn't always bad, right? Um, fear serves its purpose in our, in our lives. It prevents us from doing stupid things that would get us killed. Uh, it causes us to think twice about where we're going and, and what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, so I I think fear has always been an important mechanism for me. Uh, Fear has also been one of those things to sort of help keep me humble, um, too. And, and I'm not saying I'm the most humble person in the world, but it's something that I strive for because I'm always looking at myself and thinking, you know, am I where I need to be? Uh, Am I, am I close enough to that? You know, and I, I sort of fear in a good way, failing and not doing what, um, I've been called to do. And, um, in the interest of not failing, uh, in the interest of honoring the sacrifice and the time that so many have poured into me, um, I wanna make sure that I do good work and and that I represent my community well and that I represent my family well and that I represent, most importantly, God well. Um, I think fear of the Lord is the most important fear. Matter of fact, I don't think I know Mm -hmm. that the fear of the Lord is the most important fear for me. and so. You know, it is my own personal ambition to make sure that I please them in everything that I do. Um, but you know, moreover and, and beyond beyond that, you know, I want to make sure that um, the people that I work with, you know, that they um, that I have their respect. Um, I want to make sure that you know I'm doing right by um, you know the friends, family, um, whatever that have, that have helped me to get this far, and so. Um, I, I think that that's, it's not a bad thing to to have that fear and to hold on to that fear um, and to constantly be thinking about how I can um, do the right thing by the people that uh, I've benefited from. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know um, how well you can call that a habit, uh, <laughs> but it's certainly um, one of those things that, um, you know, every day I'm thinking about, am I where I need to be mm-hmm. um, and, and constantly assessing that.
1: Good. So growing up in Compton, seeing the things that you have seen um, and going through the things that you've gone through, what has been the worst thought that you've ever had, mm. if you can
0: recall that? The worst thought that I think that I've ever had is that I'm going to, um, that one day I'm just going to blow up and lose it all. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, sort of unbeknownst to me in the earlier years of my life. I had a lot of anger pent up over um, what had happened. And it wasn't um, ever something that I really acknowledged. Um, And I sort of remember when I was, um, again, four years old, this moment where I had this rage about everything that was happening and I made the conscious decision to myself to just push it down. And, uh, that, that moment was very, um, very interesting for me you know, because, um, you know, I decided, like, I wasn't going to let anybody ever see me cry again. Hmm. Um, like, I, I'm, I was going to at least own that part of me. Like, I wasn't going to let anybody take that away from me. You know, I didn't want anybody to see me cry. I wanted I wanted to I wanted everybody to know that I was fine, that I was okay, that this wasn't going to destroy me and take me out. And there's sort of a, a, a pride and a hubris there I think that that isn't good um, and that caused me to really focus on, I think for a lot of my life just trying to you know prove how much better I was than my parents. Um, but You know, because I got so good at suppressing things and putting things down, um, that meant I took a lot of bad stuff, (laughs) and instead of like dealing with them in the right way, you know, I um, just kept just sort of packing it into a ball, packing it into a ball, and I knew that one day that would just explode if I just kept doing that if I didn't figure out a way to deal with it. And um, and one day, um, you know, in my later years, that that did happen. You know, I just blew up, and it wasn't a pretty sight. Fortunately, my wife was was there and very supportive of me, um, and, and helping me to get through that. And sort of certainly relying upon Scripture and faith, um, you know, was paramount to that. But uh, you know, when when you grow up in the circumstances that that I've grown up in, you know, there's you're you're sort of left with this ticking time bomb, and you just never know when it's going to go off. I imagine a lot of people uh, feel like that you know, with all of the stuff that's going on and happening in America right now, particularly for for black people and even for brown people. It's just, you know, so much of, so much stress and so much pressure from society to be a certain way, to do a certain thing, to respond um, um, to to these things that are happening. And, uh, you know, I think for, particularly for people of color, every day is like, I'm just trying to, like not tell everybody how I really feel, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, I'm 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 trying as much as possible to just do my job or to live my life, um, and um, you know, without without sort of exploding. And so for me, um, that was that was one of the things. And you know, I'm sort of glad that I did have the moment where I was able to, you know, finally acknowledge a lot mm-hmm. of the hurt and the pain and the anger that I had, so that I could properly deal with it. And, and I feel like now I've come to terms with those things. Um, but, you know, not everybody that's been through what I've been through have been able to, to, to do that. You know, I think for a lot of, uh, particularly kids that have been through the foster care system or kids that have grown up and have, you know, seen a friend get shot or something of that nature, um, you know, or have gone through that, you know, they blow up a lot sooner, Yeah. You know, and they don't have someone that's able to sort of catch them and to tell them that it's going to be all right. And so, um, you know, that, that's, that's been one of the things I thank God that, you know, when, when I finally did um, come to that moment where I had to face that anger raised, that I was able to sort of get beyond that.
1: So you mentioned just doing your job, doing your job well, meeting expectations, exceeding expectations, just walking around the campus, right? I, once I was... When I was here before, someone referred to you as the mayor of Google. (laughs) So, so obviously you're very well liked around here. So, how do you go about building rapport with people? And how did you, once again, that must be some type of skill that you innately have, or is it something that you have to develop? And so, how do you get people to buy into your vision and to, um, you know, the way that Anthony Mays does things?
0: Uh, That's a great question. uh, I'll, I'll make sure to clarify that um, you know, in the Google Irvine office, right the, I, I might be considered the mayor of Google Irvine. <laughs> there we I, go. I doubt there's many people that know uh, who I am outside of, uh, outside of this office. but you know one of the things that's always been important. so I, I learned this from my father. Um, and by, fa- by father, I mean my foster father because okay. for me, he's the only father that I ever had other than, other than God the Father. but um, you know my, my father was so important in terms of shaping the man that I am, you know, as one might expect. Uh, you know, he he comes from the Midwest. He was born in Oklahoma and, um, you know, grew up in the small town of Atoka, came out to California when he was 17 years old. Um, um, yeah, I think he was 17 years old. He met me he was 16, but, but he... Um, you know, he's always had sort of like that small-town personality. He you, you could strike up a conversation with anyone, very pleasant, very opinionated, you know, so he can have uh, pretty strong opinions, very thoughtful, all that stuff. But he just had this great ability to make friends uh, and to be friendly with anyone. And I always admired that about him, and it's one of those things that I began to emulate as an adult. I later learned that it was very, very important for me in my career to build a good rapport with the people that I worked with. And, um... One of the other things that that makes that interesting is that I've always grown up understanding something called the black tax, right? So for listeners that may not understand what the black tax is, um, um, black people in America generally understand that um, due to things like systematic discrimination and bias, uh, you have to work twice as hard as someone who's non-black to get just as far um, is generally the idea. And I knew that I was going to have to not just be mediocre, not just be, you know, not just meet expectations, as you so eloquently put it, but exceed in every possible way. Uh, because if, so, if if someone was going to criticize me in one area, I wanted to make sure that the deck was stacked in my favor as much as possible. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure that I knew as many people as I could and that many people, uh, and that many people knew my name and knew who I was and knew what I was about. Uh, that way, if criticism was ever leveled against me, I know there would be people that would have my back and say, well, no, that's not the athlete that I know. Um, and so, you know, just in terms of my career and my own development, um, I thought it was very, very important to make sure that I got along well with everyone. And, you yeah, admittedly, part of that also comes from just being a foster kid and, and, and desiring people's acceptance and, and loyalty and those things. So I don't negate that um, there's some negative um, side effects of of being in foster care that's probably impacted me, but, you know, there's, I, I know that um, it has been helpful to me um, to lean on other people and, and to, you know, to be able to ask for help or have conversation, just whatever, um, or to be able to help them out to serve them. Um, this is one of those things that's strong as a Christian ideal, right? Serving others, um, being a servant leader in the same way that, um, you know, Christ, Christ was. And so, you know, for me, uh, that's been a very, very important part of my, uh, my experience in my career. But the other thing, too, is that, um, especially as someone that advocates for diversity and inclusiveness, I ask a lot of people to open themselves up to um, things that maybe they haven't seen before, to experiences that they may, maybe haven't had before. Uh, you know, I, I challenge them on being empathetic with people that they don't know you know, to understand their experience a little bit more and maybe even just maybe um, help uh, to do something to be an an ally uh, or a friend to people that suffer. And uh, I I demonstrate that to other people by doing it myself, you know, by getting to know who people are and what drives them, what their motivations are, Um, you know, by being empathetic when they hurt, you know, by asking, like, are you okay? Are you doing all right? You know, how, how's life treating you? How are you treating life? Um, you know, uh, I want to, at the end of the day, be able to say, okay, just as I'm working with you and, and, you know, just as I've hopefully been a decent friend, you know, pay that forward to somebody else, you know, and be a decent friend. Try to understand um, what makes them tick. You know, if they're having a bad day, uh, demonstrate the understanding required to slow down and, and just be considerate of that. And, you know, I, I think the empathy is a really, really important part of what makes people that get involved in this work tick. Because, um, you know, when you see people hurting, hopefully you struggle with that and you want to do something to help them not hurt. Um, and, uh, and so for, for me, it's very important to live that out, um, you know, in the workplace, just as, it, just as it is in my personal life.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that um, you said all that because I was going to, before the end of today, I was going to invite you to something else <laughs> that, that has a lot to do with that. Um, I started a race, for well, me and a friend, we started a race relations coalition. Mm-hmm. It's called Black and White for Right, mm-hmm. and it's in line with everything that you said. It resonates totally with me, so I definitely want to get you in that room, and so we'll, we'll talk about that offline. Oh, wow. uh, so... Let's get into a a segment that we always do. We're going to run out of time here soon. So I got to do some of the regular segments that we do. So this one, we call it Invent with Trent the Gent. And so simply, in your mind's eye, what's the best invention of all time and why?
0: Oh, the best invention of all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, My, uh, I think that um, for me, it would be the printing press. I think it would be the printing press. uh, Because, you know, and one of the most a lot of people um, sort of forget that one of the first things um, one of the first books that went into um, the um, into wide circulation as a result of the printing press was the Bible and as, as a Christian that um, you know that sees the importance of, of Scripture in my own life and in the life of others uh, being able to, to see more Bibles has been hugely important um, you know and critical and necessary. Um, that's the Christian, definitely the Christian to me, for sure. But, you know, but other than that, I mean, books have played such an important role in society. Um, I'm a big believer in um, learning from the lives of others, right, and seeing the wisdom in, in their experiences and, and the lessons. And certainly, some of the early abolitionists, you know, they wrote. Uh, I think if, if, if you're going to be Important in the world, you gotta write. You have to, um, because that's how the ideas and the things that are important to remember—that's how they're maintained from generation to generation. So, um, and I think that the, the printing press is—you know—it's one of those things that just um, that you know you sort of imagine what the world would be like mm-hmm. um, if we didn't have the access to information that the printing press allowed, you know, and it's sort of one of those things is, you know, just like the internet, right, um, you know, which um, has the same, had the same kind of exponential impact yeah. on the way the information is understood. Yeah.
1: It's interesting I never thought about it like that. That leads me into um, this question, and it'll make sense after I ask the question. <laughs> right. Right. But if, so if someone shook you in the middle of the night and woke you up and asked you what you are or who are you, what would you say? And so this is relevant because Woody Allen, um, he answered a writer. So when you said, you know, everyone should write. Um, so what, how, how would you answer that question?
0: Oh, somebody shook me in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you? I'd be like, I'm asleep. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm asleep. That's what I am. <laughs> Get away from me. Um, one thought that his one sort of weird I've always sort of described myself, like imagine myself in- introducing me to other people. Um, and one thought that has always um, been in my mind is, you know, I'm a software engineer at Google for the glory of God. Um, and that's not, a, that's not really a complete statement, but it's one of the first that comes to mind because I think it sort of represents, um, you know, a large part of my story. You know, I'm a software engineer at Google, right, from, from the hood of Compton, California, um, you know, and and i be I'm that because um, I'm here to sort of um, shed light on on who God has been for me and in my life. And uh, you know, I, I value my identity as as a Christian more than anything else, um, as a child of God more than anything else in the world. And um, that's what I would want people to know ab- ab- about me. I, yeah, I'm other things too. I'm a black man. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a coder, you know. I'm a geek. Yeah, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan. All that stuff, but uh, more important than anything, um, you know, I'm here for the glory of God. And one way that I exhibit that is through um, who I am as a software engineer here at
1: Google. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Compton again, so so I have to ask, and well, and I think you can give me a good answer to this because I know you play the, the piano, so <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. so you're musical. So who's the best rapper out of Compton of all time? Oh, and obviously so right now, Kendrick, they're saying Kendrick is the yeah, best living rapper. So yeah. does that make him the best rapper out of Compton?
0: Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, so that, that question is hard for, for two reasons. Number one, because I think all things being equal. Um, Compton has produced, you know, really outstanding talent, you know, when it comes to, to rappers and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think that's the first reason that's pretty obvious but the second reason is because I'm not a big fan of rap music I'm not mm-hmm. even a big I've, I've, I've never really been a fan of, of gangster rap either um, you know I think there's a lot of bad stuff that comes over that 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 medium and, you know that that thing so you know I certainly respect um, uh, Kendrick Lamar and some of the things that he's tried to um, expose and talk about through his music I think that there's um, some maturity there uh, for sure but um, you know, there's other things where I'm just like, ah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of this. I don't think it's the way that that we need to talk about the problems that are happening in our community. Um, but you know, I, I imagine that if I were uh, a fan of of that kind of hip hop, I mean, he'd probably he'd probably taught my lesson nowadays. Really? Yeah, I, I think so.
1: Let's get in really quick. Another segment that we always do, and that's the fill in the blank segment. So I can't leave that one out. Oh, so wow. I'm going to making it difficult. I, I know everyone we always gets <laughs> nervous at this one, but this is probably the easiest part of, of all. All right. Gotcha. Um, so you just fill in the blank. So don't stop blank. Having faith. Don't stop having faith. And of course, I always let you expound on that a little bit. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, I, I Faith is a very, very important um muscle of the um, of the human person and I I believe that God grants us at least a measure of faith Um, you know and and I think that the more that you exercise that the more that you learn about um, what's really going on and you know in order for me to do what I do I have to be a big believer that um, you know that what I do will be impactful even though I may not see the reality of that just like my ancestors worked very hard for me to sit where I am, even though they don't see me sitting here, and so it's the same thing for me. Um, you know, and hopefully that's an encouragement to somebody that's out there grinding for change that don't see that doesn't see the change that they see.
1: Yeah. Second one, you can blank.
0: You can survive a lot. <laughs> you can survive a lot, uh, and I'm uh, again, I'm certainly a uh, testament of that. Uh, that's one of the things I appreciate about. I've never been in the military. I've heard a lot about it. And one of the things that I know that being in the military teaches you is that you can do more than you thought that you could. You can survive a lot more than you. Just when you think that, you know, your, your mind is telling you to give up, you can press a little bit harder and make it a little bit farther. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that's the yeah. things I believe in.
1: Yeah. Third one, conversations are blank
0: crucial conversations are crucial um you gotta so much happens when two people from different backgrounds different mindsets come together um to, to reason amongst themselves um to dream together you know so um and so much of the um I guess animosity and social um that we deal with nowadays um could at least be mitigated by meaningful conversation, not shallow conversation. I don't mean just cracking jokes, but I mean like really (laughs) getting deep in and saying, how can we help one another? What can we do to build a better
1: better world? I'm gonna wrap up soon here. I have to ask you this question though. Oh yeah, another one that I always do, and I need to keep this streak going too. Are you left-handed or right-handed? Right-handed. Right-handed. Usually, it's been right-handed. I, I don't know how I attract right-handers for some reason. And the follow-up question to that, do you feel that your left brain or right brain, that's especially good, in, in the tech? That's Erica, a good question. I, um,
0: I would like to think that I'm both. I would okay. like to think that I'm both. Um, again, I'm, I'm a musician. You know, I, I, um, I, I love music. I love making music. Um, I, I appreciate the art uh, of, of that process. But I also appreciate the art in computer science. And a lot of, not a lot of people understand that coding is not a purely mathematical exercise with a, with, with a predetermined output. Um, there's a lot of art involved in this, of looking at a problem and figuring out, okay, there's a thousand different ways to solve it. Which one should I go with and use? And so, um, you know, I appreciate And then, of course, again, there's the sort of the logical way of breaking things into parts and um, in, into smaller problems and attacking that one by one and having a plan and strategy. Um, I love all that too. So I'm gonna say I'm left and right. Bro. Okay, good, and
1: most answer that way too. So yeah. it's so it's really funny, <laughs> and it's and I believe most people probably are that way. And not to get too political, sure, I think sure. most people, right, are you right or are you left? I think most people are probably moderate, somewhere in the middle. And so it's weird that we have all this divisiveness yeah. when we're all pretty similar. So it's it's just... Well,
0: and I'll, I'll say this. I'm I'm definitely to the right politically when it comes to um, the truth. I mean, I'm, I'm not shy in saying that I believe in absolute truth. I believe there's just right and wrong, and there's no... Middle ground there. There's no in the middle. Mm-hmm. You don't know, get to wedge yourself between some of these in, in, um, these things that um, are, um, I think, well defined as being honest and true and right. And so, um, you know, and I, in yeah, at the end of the that, day, that's just a calculation, right? Um, you know, you, what I believe, I believe whatever the Bible says, right? Um, I believe that um, discrimination is wrong. I believe. Uh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I believe that. Um, that racial discrimination on the basis of someone's skin color is certainly wrong, um, you know, and unjustified. And so, you know, the, there are a lot of things in which I take a strong stance, and um, there's there's no liberal interpretation to be had.
1: Yeah. As far as say I'm gonna phrase this one. you weren't athletic as a kid either right <laughs> no no okay I wasn't. No, it, no so how do you feel about you know we're trying to locate some of the great minds out there and i feel like so the malcolm gladwell 10,000 hours thing so if we're as a as a people we're focusing on football and we're playing football for 10,000 hours and ending up somewhere down the line with ctes and all those things that go with that how do we get our community to see that there is another way out of the hood? We just have to practice on a different area, which would be mathematics and, um, and what have sciences, as opposed to in athletics. How, how, how do we affect that type of change in our community?
0: So it, I, it definitely requires uh, folks like me stepping up to say, I'm an example. Like, I know that you can do this because I've done this. Um, you know, and I tell people all the time, like, I'm not the, the, the smartest or the brightest. I don't even consider that self, myself um, much smarter, any smarter than the peers that I work with. Uh, but I can tell you that I was willing to work harder than anybody else. Uh, I, I made sure of that. That I was going to be work harder than anybody else to get where I wanted to get. Um, and, you know, that manifested in the way that I studied and prepared for the Google interview. You know, a month and a half. Three, four hours a day on the bus, on the train, working this out. Back when I was in high school, I would ride my bike from where I lived to Cal State University Dominguez Hills, which was some miles away. You know, in the summertime when I could have just been chilling, I'm um, trying to get better um, at at this craft. And uh, you know, when I was in the industry, you know, I would come home after a long day of work, start coding some more, start trying to learn more technologies, and just build build out uh, my capabilities and so um, you know I've, I've, I've done it and I can tell the people you know I can tell the youth of tomorrow like yeah you can do this too and it's going to require some sacrifice but here's what's waiting for you if you go through that and so we need more mentors stepping up uh, being able to show them the right direction um, you know and perhaps one day um, society will appreciate the programmers as much as they do the star athletes uh, you know certainly um, nowadays programmers are or rock stars compared to, you know, um, how they um, used to be sort of perceived, and so we'll see what the future holds. Um, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure the number of CTEs on <laughs> in this industry aren't aren't uh, terribly high,
1: <laughs> not terribly high at all. You're not hitting your head up against the wall, literally. <laughs>
0: yeah, you might do it for other reasons, but certainly not because <laughs> of you know 300, 400 four hundred pound dude is charging at you. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Let's. And at the very end, we're going to give everybody a chance to get a hold of you and um, any social media platforms and things of that nature. Let's tackle this question. So the billionaire tech titan Elon Musk said, and this is a quote, the global race for artificial intelligence will cause World War Three and the governments will take the technology at gunpoint if necessary. So he also said that artificial intelligence is a fundamental risk to the existence of human civilization that poses vastly more risks than even North Korea. So what do you make of that statement? And is it warranted? Is it irresponsible? Um, What is really your feelings on artificial intelligence and where we're going with that?
0: So uh, me personally, I'll say that uh, I surprised a ton of people with this, but you know, I believe that people are just bad, <laughs> just bad to the core. Uh and we do everything that we can to restrain our evil. And so, um, if if there is some evil to be done, some bad to do, uh, we will find a way to do it. Period. Uh, that's just how the human race works. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if you know, you know, we take um technology the same way that we're doing it right now and go and um do a lot of horrible and awful things. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what we do today. Um, We use the Internet to do some very mean, divisive things, and and it's unfortunate. And um, one of the things that's, um, I think, a challenge for Google in particular is that um, sometimes you end up surfacing that evil and that ugliness, and it comes out, and we see it, and we have to confront it. Um, You know, I think, however, with all that said, that there's been um, a lot of, a lot of um, sort of uh, alarm bell ringing. um, uh, That um, in some ways is good. We do need to be thinking about like, how can this be used for bad and how can we get ahead of that? So I think that that that's important to do, but I think it's also important to say that there are a lot of people that are interested in seeing technology used in a responsible way um, and in a way that's gonna be productive for mankind and for society. the reality is that no matter what we're talking about, whether it's technology, whether it's finance, whatever, there's gonna be good and there's also gonna be bad. Um, you know, I think that as an example, um, not to draw any undue comparisons here, but with, um, um, you know, the, you know there's a lot of talk about the financial instruments that were um, sort of invented to, um, that then allowed something like the financial crisis in 2008 to happen. Um, I'm not doubting that there are probably some people that looked at that and thought, hey, you know, this is, you know, there's some good ideas here. There's some good things that can happen that can enable people to do things they weren't able to do before. But then there was also some other people that was just like, well, I can use all those instruments to make a ton of money and defraud, you know, all these other people. And so, you know, unfortunately, that's what happens. And I think the same thing is true of tech. And uh, it is our responsibility. It's my responsibility as a software engineer to be thinking about how technology will be used and, how I can have a positive impact and not a negative one. And so um, you know that's that's my general thought on it. And yeah. I I think that um, Googles and Google companies like Google and others would agree. Uh, particularly Google, you know, one of the things that I think is still important for our culture is don't be evil. <laughs> um, and I've been here for um, over three years, three and a half years now. Um, I believe that um, this company lives by that. You know, not everybody agrees, but that's just my yeah, Five, two cents.
1: Last question before we give them um, the platforms to find you. Right. If, if they were to, by happenstance, run out into you in, in public, where are some of the places that you hang out that the listeners might run <laughs> into you?
0: Well, I mean, I really like my Google office. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got
1: everything here, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I got, you know, breakfast, lunch, snacks, games, all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, as well as the fun work that I get to do in the day-to-day. Um, you know, I like pho, so you might find me at a local pho spot.
1: What's your uh, What's your favorite pho spot?
0: Uh, there's one right around the corner from me where I live. Um, I can't even remember the name of it. I just know it's around the corner. Okay. I can go there <laughs> whenever I want to. So. All right, well, um, I'll get
1: that one for you offline, too, because I'm looking for a good pho <laughs> yeah, restaurant. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, but, I mean, other than that,
0: I mean, Saturdays and Sundays, I uh, spend quite a bit of time at um, my local uh, church fellowship in Long Beach, um, Grace Community Church, of Long Beach, uh, you know, I'm a uh, great community of folks there, mm-hmm. so, you know, I try to serve as I can.
1: Okay. Uh, and I'm sure you guys are open it up to listeners, as they want to come and check out Grace, right?
0: Yeah, like I said, yeah. go and Google it. Uh, good. figure we'll out exactly where we are.
1: All right, so social platforms, how could they reach you, Twitter, whatever it is? Sure,
0: sure. So, I'm at Anthony D. Mays in all the places, and that's D is in uh, Dwayne, my middle name, Anthony D. Mays. Uh, i'm on uh, twitter i'm on facebook i'm on instagram all those places Uh, my website is at AnthonyDmaze.com. and um, for you listeners out there if there's um, anybody that's interested in getting into um, into uh, programming maybe you're interested in getting into google if you go visit my website at anthonydmaze.com, you'll find uh, articles that i've written about my experience and about what you need to do to get in Uh, they've been shared um, with um with thousands of people around Mm -hmm. the world.
1: Yeah, mention the the most popular one about how you figured you couldn't work here. Yeah, so uh,
0: there's an article that um, uh, I worked on called uh, Google Would Never Hire a Person Like Me. uh, That was first published in the Huffington Post in, I think, 2015. So um, if you go um, look that one up, Google Would Never Hire a Person Like Me, um, that article's really resonated with a lot of people Yeah, and I think represents the core of my message to the next generation.
1: And it's also on your site. Yeah, it's also <laughs> so on my site, so you can
0: find all the goodness at anthonydmayes.com.
1: There it is. All right, well, Anthony, thank you so much for availing me to this opportunity to um, have the listeners get to know you and your story and to inspire them. And you are truly that. You are an inspiration, and um, we're, we're grateful to, to have you. So, so thank you, Anthony.
0: Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Hey.
1: Venters. Anthony's M.O. is to pay it forward. I'm hopeful that you will pay it forward by sharing this episode with someone who you care about and who would appreciate. And in addition to that, Anthony said, if you're going to be important in the world, you have to write. So please go ahead and write me a review. That would be greatly appreciated. Until next time, we'll see you on the next episode.